0: And this is Dan. Together, we pastor Hope Culture Church in Elgin, Illinois. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We hope it encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. it is so great to be able to share with you this morning an update of what God is doing in Indonesia and. Um, Of course, you saw a little bit of our ministry in that uh, bumper video there, but we uh, planted a church, and I love being here because we planted a church in a very similar timeline that you all did, so uh, we're going to be three years old in November. I know you guys are celebrating your birthday in September, so it's amazing to see what God's done here, and I've been watching you from afar, online, on Facebook, and just so glad uh, to be with you guys this morning. Let me introduce my family to you. This is my wife, Kathleen my boys, Caleb and Levi, and uh, they're all here with us this morning. Kathleen is with our with the kids sharing a bit of a missions highlight um, so that we can inspire missions in their hearts. Um, we've been back in the U.S. for the last couple months, and a lot of times people ask us how that transition has been, especially for our kids, because uh, Caleb and Levi that's pretty much all they know is Indonesia. Um, I remember how long I've been in Indonesia because of my son Caleb's age. We went to Indonesia when he was about six months old, and he's going to be nine in November. So about nine years we've been in Indonesia. And when they come back, um, it's always a transition, and uh, we don't come back super often. And one of the things that they love about America, uh, they love a lot of things, but It seems like as soon as they get to an American airport, they run to the water fountains. And the water fountains are just amazing to them. It's funny to see a nine-year-old so amazed by a water fountain. They'll just stand there and push the button and drink the water because in Indonesia, we don't have water fountains and we don't have clean water. Um, they, They also my son Levi, my youngest, he loves that everyone speaks English. Um, he asked me almost every single week before we go to church, will the other kids speak English there? Will we be able to make friends easily? And he loves that. And of course, it's nice to be near grandparents. Um, but my kids, they they are a bit confused at times. If you go up to them after service and ask them where they're from, um, they'll, they'll get they'll look confused and they'll look to mom and dad and they'll kind of, you know, ask, they'll tug on our shoulder and interrupt our conversation and we'll explain to them that dad's from Pittsburgh, mom's from Chicago, Levi, you were born in Singapore, you live in Indonesia, and we're not really sure where you're from. Right? So, but go ahead and ask them and you'll be able to have that experience. I'm sure for some of you, you hear Indonesia and you're not even exactly sure where is Indonesia. So let me give you a quick geography lesson. Indonesia, It's an island nation. It's made of 17,000 islands that stretch from India all the way down to Australia. And it's actually the fourth most populated nation in the world. Most of us know about China, India, and the United States, but number four in population with 270 million people is the country of Indonesia. And What most people don't realize is that it's actually the largest Muslim nation in the world. Um, 200 million Muslims live across the islands of Indonesia. And this is where our family moved to about nine years ago. And um, when we moved to Indonesia, I got to be honest. When I when we moved, we were completely overwhelmed. I was 24 years old at the time, six month old baby. Um, It was our first time ever, uh, you know, stepping foot in Indonesia. And when we got there, lots of things were overwhelming. We had a new culture, new language, new smells. We're driving on the opposite side of the road, and and uh, we spent the first uh, year just learning the language, learning the culture, so that we could better relate with the people. And I'll never forget, in those first couple months, um, we're learning the language, and we would be in language study for four hours a day, and then we would spend another four hours just walking around the village, trying to make conversation. But of course, in those early days, we could barely say anything. I could introduce myself, my name is Ben, I could share that I was married, and I could ask where the toilet was. I mean, that was basically it. And one of the things that was a huge blessing is our son Caleb, if, if you didn't notice, he's got bright red hair. He was a magnet for people. He's the only kid in all of Indonesia with red hair. Okay. And so we were walking, we'd be walking around and people would just come up to us because he was so cute and they wanted to pinch his cheeks and, and look at his hair. And so one afternoon we were walking around doing our normal routine, practicing our language. And all of a sudden this woman, this Indonesian woman came up really excited to see Caleb, and she grabbed Caleb from my wife's arms and began to hold him. Well, we were in the middle of a conversation and practicing, hi, how are you, my name is Ben, whatever we knew, and we we assumed, we looked over, and we realized that Caleb and this woman were gone. And we had very little Indonesian. We we weren't able to communicate much. We began doing some sign language, trying to figure out what happened to our son. Kathleen, of course, was frantic and. They pointed to a house about one block away where there was a party going on and said he went there. Um, so we walk over, and sure enough, there's a party. 100, 150 people were gathered in a small home in the village. And out walks this woman who now has Caleb strapped to her with a cloth baby carrier. He has a Cookie in his hand, he's excited and happy, and we're terrified, right? And so, you know, we're we're there at this home, and um, we begin trying to figure out what is this party about. Is this an anniversary? Is this a wedding, se- you know, celebration? Is it a birthday party? What's going on here? And they tried to tell us, but again, very little language. And we began this three-minute game of charades, going back and forth, and they they be, you know multiple people are using hand motions right they're they're going like this and we figured out that you know first word is something about cutting and then everybody's pointing like this downwards and and we all of a sudden realized that we are at our very first circumcision party for the 13-year-old boy that was sitting on the couch all right and so i mean to say that we were overwhelmed by a new culture is an understatement and we quickly realized that to win Indonesia for Jesus, we would need to gather a team of people. That that to do it alone would be impossible. And so, over that first year, we began taking vision trips across the islands of Indonesia, asking God, "How are we going to reach?" All of these people, the millions of people spread out across the islands, and how are we going to, you know, bridge that gap cross-culturally to actually be able to communicate the truth of the gospel in an effective way? And I'll never forget... On one of those trips, on a, uh, we were in a city called Bogor, and when we were there, we were prayer walking the city all day and asking God for a vision for that city. And whenever we were there that, that evening, it was about 5.30 p.m., and we sat down to eat dinner in an open-air cafe when all of a sudden I heard this sound. You know... It's a sound that I know when we hear it, especially in church, it makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable, but it's a sound that for our family, we hear five times a day. We hear it at five o'clock in the morning when we wake up. We hear it at 6.30 p.m. when we go to bed, and five times a day, Muslims across the nation of Indonesia bow their knee to a false god of a false religion, a god that can't hear them and can't answer them, and I'll never forget hearing that in my my heart was so moved in that when we were visiting the city of Bogor and God spoke to my heart from the scripture from Matthew chapter 16 that says that I will build my church and not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. And at that moment, the dream to plant an international church in the city of Bogor was birthed inside of our hearts I want to read this scripture to you this morning from Matthew chapter 16. I believe we also have it on the screens. It says that when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? They replied and say, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But Jesus says, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I want to pull out a few things from this passage. I want to share some of what God is doing on the field but I believe what we what we learn from this passage is absolutely applicable right here to Hope Culture Church. That promise that Christ would build his church and not even the gates of hell would prevail against it. I don't know if you realize here at Hope Culture Church, because maybe it's become normal. For three years, you've been setting up the screens and the pipe and drape. You've been putting the lights together, doing the live stream, and you have the donuts every week. And it can feel like sort of a routine, but what you do every week is a huge deal. It's a big deal that what you're doing is establishing a, a place for the Spirit of God to dwell in the city of Elgin, to push back uh, the forces of darkness and to see lives transformed, people set free from sin, to see people give their lives to Jesus, marriages restored and, and healed. What you do is a big deal. And some of the things that I've learned that I want to encourage you with from this passage is number one, that as we as we go... We go confidently because Jesus said he would build his church. What we've learned is that we can be confident in going, all right, that if we are faithful and confident that if we obey Jesus in going, Jesus will be faithful in building, in this passage, Jesus asks a really profound question. He says, who do people say that I am? And the passage, the disciples respond, well, some people say you're a good prophet. You're, you know, Elijah or John the Baptist. And, and in Indonesia, they, they believe in Isa. All right, Isa is in the Al-Quran, right? It's it's there, but they believe that Isa, Jesus, they believe he's a good teacher. They believe he's a prophet, but they've yet to know him as Messiah, that the one that came to save them. Um, and, and this is why we go confidently. We, we know that if we proclaim Jesus as Messiah, people will respond. People will will give their lives to Jesus. The city that we live in will be transformed. Um, Where we live, I mentioned it earlier, this place we went on a vision trip to, it's called Bogor. And Bogor is a city of about 2 million people. It's um, an hour south of the capital city, Jakarta. And Bogor in 2015 was named one of the most intolerant cities in all of Indonesia. Now, what's unique about that is that um, in Indonesia, there's actually a special region of Indonesia that's under Sharia law. Now, Sharia law is the the law that is Islamic law that's practices in practiced in places like Saudi Arabia and Qatar and other places in the Middle East. So our city was named more intolerant than even the Sharia law place. It's a home for extremism. It's it's a place where they shut down churches. And you may be wondering, why on earth would you choose to go to Bogor? Like, wh- why not? For those of you that, that know, I mean, you might be thinking in your head, like, isn't there a place called Bali in Indonesia? Like, wouldn't you go to the place where they got beautiful beaches? And And the reason we go to a place like Bogor is because we can go confidently to the darkest places on the planet because we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That when we go, we're confident that when you step out in faith and you proclaim Jesus as Messiah, that Jesus will build his church, that not even the gates of hell will prevail against the work of the kingdom, what God wants to do in that city. So in, on November 3rd, 2019, we launched International Church Bogor in that city. And I think we have a picture of it. It was absolutely incredible what God did. We had over 200 people in attendance in our first service at that. I'll never forget that first service. I, I was extremely nervous. And it wasn't the normal nerves that you get, like, is the projector going to work? Is the sound going to work? I, I was nervous, like, who's going to show up? We we had spent all sorts of money on doing a Facebook campaign and we got some, you know, less than desirable responses in that Facebook campaign from people that didn't want it on their Facebook. And, but when we showed up, we preached the gospel. Dozens of people gave their lives to Jesus. We had in the first five months, we saw 50 salvations. We, we baptized a dozen people. And what God did was miraculous. But the reality is this, is whenever we're church planting, like you're doing here at Hope Culture... We hold no confidence in our ability to win Indonesia for Jesus. And I would assume you feel the same about Elgin. But we're fully confident that if we proclaim Jesus as Savior and Messiah, that Jesus will build his church. Amen? Amen. We're confident because Jesus said he would build his church. Number two, we go courageously because not even the gates of hell will prevail. Jesus says that he would build his church and not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. It's very interesting in this passage that it's the first time that the, ch- the word church in, in, the, in the Greek, it's ekklesia. It's the first time it's used in the New Testament. And when we see it, it's framed in the context of a spiritual battle. I find it interesting that Jesus, he doesn't say that I'll build my church and you'll have incredible small group ministry. Or I'll build my church and you're you're going to have great community events. While all those things are great, right? all the things that we do as a church are wonderful. But what Jesus says is, I'll build my church And not even the spiritual darkness, not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. When Jesus was sharing this, he was actually he was was sharing this to the disciples while walking through the city of Caesarea Philippi. Now Caesarea Philippi was a pagan city. It was um, a a city that had all sorts of evil and people did detestable things um, before the Lord. They they were a city where they would, um, you know, practice temple prostitution. They would worship Baal. Uh, They had a temple to a god named Pan where they would sacrifice uh, children to. And in fact, in that city, there's actually a real place called the Gates of Hades, I think we have a picture of it. The gates of Hades, when we read it in the scripture, we think that Jesus is talking about something maybe metaphysical, that it's not really a place that was based in reality. But no, in Caesarea Philippi was a cave that they would worship and they would make uh, human sacrifices in. And this was considered the gates of hell. And so what Jesus is saying in this passage is that not even... The gates of hell, not even the pagan gates, the, 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 the practices of paganism will prevail against the church. What Jesus was declaring is that his kingdom would be established in the darkest places on this planet. And nothing, no, no spiritual forces, no demonic forces would prevail against the church when we establish the church what we're doing i mentioned it earlier we are establishing god's presence in our city that what we're doing each and every week it's a big deal and what we've learned in bogor is that often kingdom advancement is hindered for lack of courage that the lost the people that people that don't know jesus as savior and messiah they're waiting and ready to hear the gospel, but they're saying to themselves, who will be brave enough to share the gospel with me? Who will be brave enough to go to my colleagues at the office and share Jesus with them? Who will be brave enough to go to my in-laws that want nothing to do with Christ and, and share Jesus with them? That kingdom advancement, people uh, coming to faith that it's hindered for lack of courage. Um It's incredible to think that in our world today, there are still people who have never heard the gospel. In Indonesia, we have 227 ethnic groups. They have their own culture, their own language and customs. They're spread out across the islands of Indonesia. And 227 of these people groups are completely never reached. And when I say never reached, I mean that they have never been to a church, they've never met a Christian, and they'll never hear the name of Jesus unless someone goes and tells them. And it's our belief, Kathleen and I, that this is an injustice, that I believe that every single person deserves the right to hear about Jesus. But after 2,000 years, there's still people like this. In all of human history, they've never heard The gospel. And so as a church, our church, IC Bogor... We like to take a mission trip every single year to one of these difficult-to-reach places. And i got to be honest that sometimes it it takes a level of courage because you're going into a place where you don't know how they're going to respond. Oftentimes, these places are difficult to get to. They're off the grid. There's no, there's no Internet. There's no cell phone reception. It's difficult to get to, to kind of put it into perspective. Um, two months ago, we took a trip to a, a, a village called... Um, forgive me, Wallafol. That's a hard one to remember. Everybody say Wallafol. There you go. You guys all speak Indonesian now. You know, Indonesian city. We went to a village called Wallafol. To get there, we had to drive to the capital city Jakarta and get on a plane. We got on the plane. It's an eight-hour flight to the island of Ambon. When you get to the island of Ambon, you get into an overnight ferry that takes you to the island of Buru. When you get to the island of Buru, you then got to get into the back of a pickup truck that takes you three hours up the side of a volcano until finally you reach a village of about 70 people. I think we have it here. And this is the island village of Wallaful. These people have never heard the gospel. They've been isolated for generations, and two thousand years of proclamation. They, they no one has ever, has ever gone. And so we show up to Wallafol. There's, there's no, uh, there's no electricity. There's no running water. There's nothing. The very first thing you got to do is you got to build a toilet over the river. I'm just showing it because it puts in perspective the kind of place that we were, we were trying to reach people. There's no church building they don't they obviously right they don't have a church so it was the easiest church setup you've ever imagined you might want to take some notes pastor Dan cuz I'm telling you that you do it very simple the next picture you you just throw a tarp out on the ground and people gather and you share Jesus. Wouldn't it be nice if we could do church that simple, you know? But uh, but then we would be in fold So I'm, I'd rather be in Elgin, I guess. So we we shared Jesus the very first night. We did three nights of meetings. The first night the women and the adult men of the village they didn't want to come but they thought maybe there's some value here for our kids so they sent their kids and what God did was miraculous the Spirit of God fell in that village and these kids uh, began to lift hands and worship to God many of these children received Jesus as their Lord and Savior the second night of the village uh, of, of the the meetings um, people in the village caught you know they, they, they caught attention and they wanted to see more and hear more and so the next night the women of the village they came they heard the gospel they responded uh, many of them they received Jesus as lord and savior and three of them actually went to the river right next to the village and were baptized on the third night of meetings um, we had everybody gathered. By this point, they, the, the the village, ha- you know, the, the chief of the village knew that there was something different about what was going on, and he came. And what he declared is he said, I will give permission to no other religion, no other denomination, but I give you permission to come back and to establish a church in Wallaful Buru Island, Indonesia. And right now we are establishing a physical manifestation, a church building for those people to worship Jesus as Lord and Messiah. Can we give God some praise? Listen, we go confidently because Jesus is Messiah. We go courageously because not even the gates of hell will prevail against the church. And finally, we go consistently because if we won't, who will? When I think about this passage and I think about Peter, this must have become Peter's life mission statement, right? Jesus came to him and he said, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And I can imagine after the ascension of Jesus and after Pentecost and Peter stands up for the first time and he's preaching his first message and thousands come to faith and he begins going and planting churches and for his entire life, he probably always went back to this mission, and that as he's consistently establishing the church. Maybe when he felt like he was worn down, he was tired, he wanted to quit or throw in the towel. He he reminded himself, "My mission. I am Peter, and on this rock, Jesus will build His church." We uh we as as a church, as Hope Culture Church, as, as our church, International Church, Bogor, we, we've got to consistently show up every single week, every single month, every single year, and continually doing the same things over and over and over again. And we do that because in time we believe that we will reap a harvest. I love this, this scripture from Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. It says, Let us not become weary in doing good. You know, what's that good work? Let's not become weary in in setting up things. Let's not become weary in serving our kids. Let's not become weary in going out into our community. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You know, the reality is, is, uh, this is a kingdom principle that you ought to get inside of your heart, that if you don't quit, like in the kingdom of God, as you're planting Hope Culture Church, as you continue on this journey, if you don't quit, you will win, okay? Like if you just keep at it long enough, if you keep doing the same things consistently, showing up week after week in time, God says that we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. What does this look like for you here in Elgin? I think it looks like consistently praying, both for your community right here, but also for the nations around the world. It it looks like consistently giving because it makes a difference. I thought um, Pastor Dan did an excellent job breaking that down, that you stored up uh, resources so that you could be a blessing. That what you do consistently over time—maybe it's not—you know, you're not able to give a huge amount of money in one in one uh, lump offering, but over time, every single week, you're sowing a seed. Every single week, you're doing a little. In time, you're able to see God use it to make a difference. You're consistently sharing anywhere. Any time any place anyone you're showing up day after day week after week um, in our context in Indonesia we've seen God do a lot just because we were consistent just because you know missions and I would say church planting is one of the most exciting things to be a part of if you're here for the first time, I'm glad that you're here. I'm actually super excited for you because you're a part of something extremely exciting, all right? It's 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 exciting, and we're, we're so blessed to be a part of it, but often in missions and church planting, it's it's a lot about doing the same things over and over again. And uh, I'll that's what we've been doing for the last three years, much like you. And we, uh, in March of 2020, uh, March 15, 2020, anybody remember March? 15, 2020? Okay, we got a few people that remember. For some of you, you tried to forget. We were forced to close the doors of our church for about 10 months. We were closed from March all the way until Christmas of 2020. In Christmas 2020, we had our very first service, and we had an, we rented an outdoor venue so we could do the whole, you know, uh, protocols and everything, and um, we had about 100 people show up to our Christmas service, and of that 100 was a refugee family from Iraq, and they were still Muslim. They, 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 weren't, they were far from God, and um, they came to our service, and they enjoyed the fellowship. They enjoyed the food, and of course, they, for the first time, heard the Christmas story, On January 2021, we reopened our church. Um, our very first service, we had 38 people as we relaunched. But of those 38 people, six of them were this refugee family from Iraq. It was a husband and wife, and they have four kids. Um, the wife would still wear her uh, head covering, and they were coming faithfully every single Sunday. Their kids were in kids' church. Their teens got involved in our teens' ministry. And um, and and they would come, and they would hear the gospel. They'd hear the message. They'd enjoy the fellowship. And after about six months, we were able to present their family um, with this Bible. We actually had the Bible brought all the way from the United States, an Arabic Bible, so they could read the scriptures in their own language. And they began reading those scriptures, and the Holy Spirit illuminated the words of the scripture to their heart. We were able to get um, uh, Ali, involved in a small group Bible study. For eight weeks, he studied with other Arabic uh, uh, people that were seeking to know about Jesus. And uh, he went from Genesis to Revelation. And after eight weeks, Ali made the bold decision to go into the waters of baptism. Can we praise God for that? That God still saves. Amen. Now, This is such a huge deal that whenever a a Muslim person goes into the waters of baptism, it, it puts a whole new significance. In fact, for many of my Indonesian friends that make decisions to follow Jesus and you hear their testimony, they often don't point to the moment that they raised their hand in a service and said a prayer to follow Jesus. What they point to is whenever they went into the water, the, the, the waters of baptism. Because whenever they go in, it's, it's a true signifying moment that the old is gone. And the old for them is a sacrifice. They're giving up family. They're giving up um, potentially ties to finances. They're giving up jobs and career. For there, I mean, if somebody saw this, they're giving up uh, even the opportunity to someday go back to a country like Iraq. They're giving up everything. And at that moment, I'll never forget, Kathleen was standing next to Ali's wife and she was talking to her and asking her, Do you understand the significance of this moment? And she turned to my wife and said, With a very sobering look on her face, Yes, Kathleen. I understand. You have to realize for many Muslims, and especially Indonesians, they when they're born, they're given an identification card. And on that identification card, they have a slot that says religion. And next to religion is Islam. And so from birth, they have this identity. And so whenever they get saved, it is a huge, huge deal. Here's what I know is that Ali is just one story that's been rewritten by the power of God. And we believe as a church that we are just getting started. We've seen God move in miraculous and powerful ways, but we want to see God move more. We, we believe that we go confidently because Jesus said that he would build his church. We we go courageously because not even the gates of hell will prevail. And we go consistently because if we won't, who will This passage, it ends with an incredible promise. It's a promise for all of us, okay? He says that whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. My dream is that we would see the spiritual forces of darkness in Bogor, Indonesia forbidden and for the for the kingdom of God to be permitted. Um, I, I'm so thankful uh, to your church. As Pastor Dan shared earlier, you've been storing up uh, resources so that you could help us in establishing the the physical presence of God in our city. We're we're going to be um, starting a ministry center um, probably by January or February of next year, and I'm so thankful that you are a part of it. I believe that together that we are making a huge difference in Indonesia, and I know that you're making a huge difference right here in Elgin, Illinois. This morning, um, it's my heart that you would not walk away from this place and be confused about why we're doing what we're doing or why someone like Allie would go and get baptized even though he's risking everything for that decision. The the Bible talks about the reason for that. It talks about how Jesus, he came to the earth. He lived a perfect, sinless life. That Jesus was the God-man. He was fully God. He was fully man, that he lived the perfect life that none of us could live. And what Jesus did for us was truly miraculous. It was truly incredible. It's the good news that Jesus went to the cross for our sins. He died on the cross. He paid the penalty for our sins so that we wouldn't have to. The Bible says that all of us are sinners, that all of us would stand guilty before God, that we are the ones that should have should have hung on the cross for our sins. And the reason why this is such good news, that you wonder why would someone like Ali give up everything to follow Jesus? It's because of what Jesus has done for us. I've got a few more minutes. I want to share one more story to kind of put this in perspective. Three months ago, there was a girl, her name is Sharon. Sharon is an Indonesian young lady, 18 years old, and she was online, and she was chatting with a Christian friend online, and this Christian friend began to challenge Sharon that she should read the Bible. Now, Sharon is a very religiously devout follower of Islam. She uh, she comes from an extremely conservative family, and she decided, yes, I'm going to read the Bible, but not for the reason you might think. She decided to read the Bible because she wanted to disprove the scriptures, the, the holy Bible, and go back to her friend and prove that the Quran was God's holy word. And so she began over a period of a couple months reading the Bible, and what she found was something totally opposite. She saw the compassion of Jesus. She saw the healing of Jesus. She saw that Jesus would go and die on the cross for her sins, and something began to change inside of her heart. So she went back to her friend online and said, where can I learn more about Jesus? Her friend pointed her to come to International Church Bogor, and so, three months ago, Sharon showed up, and she was um, she was still wearing the head covering. She felt uncomfortable. It was her first time ever in any sort of Christian religious, uh, you know, context. But she began to build relationships with people in our church, our staff. And she would come on and off because she didn't have the courage to tell her parents where she was going. She would actually, I don't know if this is right or wrong, you know, if if the Lord forgives this sin, but she would lie to mom and dad. She said she was going to the mall and she would actually come to church. And uh, so finally, uh, Sharon, she got the courage to go to her mom. And she told her mom that she's been watching these online sermons, she's been going to International Church Bogor, and that, she, that, that there was something unique about Jesus and that she wanted to follow Jesus. And her, her mom looked at her and she said, Sharon, are you ready to die for following this Jesus? Well Sharon immediately sent a message to our team and said I need to meet and I need to be baptized. And so we didn't realize what's the urgency. Why like why do you need to meet so much? And so she she met with two of our staff members and she shared this entire story. And by the end of sharing her testimony, Sharon said, "I believe in Jesus and I want to be baptized." And I hear a story like that and you wonder, what, what on earth? Why would this girl, she would give up everything, even potentially her family, ostracizing her, sending her out of, out of the home, uh, separating her from everything she knows that her parents are literally you know, saying that they might kill her. Why would she do that? It's because of the incredible good news of the gospel. I think about the words of Paul. Paul's put it this way. He said, I consider everything in my life, everything that I used to believe, everything I used to know, I consider it garbage compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost everything. And that is the heart in which we follow Jesus. Why? Because he saved us. He came to save us from our sins. And what the Bible says is that all we need to do to follow him is to put our faith in him, and to repent of our sins and to and to trust him for our salvation. So this morning I want to pray for you if you can bow your heads, close your eyes. We want to take this moment as a holy moment where we can respond to Jesus. And this morning, if you're here with every head bowed, every eye closed, and you hear a story like that about Allie or a story like that about Sharon, and you say, I want that to be my story. I, I want to know that, that my eternity is taken care of. I want to know that my sins are forgiven. If that's you this morning, I want to pray for you. I want to pray that you would know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That you would know him not just as a good teacher, a prophet, but that you would know him as your Savior, your Messiah. This morning, if you say, Pastor Ben... Would you pray for me? Would you include me in that prayer to know Jesus as Lord and Messiah? If you could just show me that by raising your hand real quick. Everybody's eyes are closed, heads are bowed. If that's you here this morning, and you say, Pastor Ben, would you pray for me? If you could just lift your hand so I can see it. Give a few more moments if there's anyone here that say, Pastor Ben, would you pray for me? I see that hand. Thank you there's anybody else in these last moments, I hate for you to leave Hope Culture Church without that, that true hope that only comes from Jesus. There's anybody else say, Pastor Ben, would you pray for me? This morning, I'd like to close is praying a prayer that I'm sure you pray often here at the church. For us at our church, it's become sort of a declaration of our faith that we pray it as a reminder of the gospel and a reminder of what Jesus has done in our lives. And so I invite you as I pray to pray and repeat after me out loud so you can hear it. We pray with the the sister that rose her hand. Let's pray this morning. Father in heaven, I admit that I'm a sinner and I believe that you died and that you rose again and that you saved me from my sins. I commit my life to following you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to pray a prayer a blessing over you this morning. God, I pray, Lord, over Hope Culture Church, God. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would bless this church, this church community, God. Lord, I pray, God, that their best days are ahead of them, Lord. I pray, God, that as they establish, Lord, this church in this city, God, that, Lord, it would be a beacon of hope, Lord, that people would be drawn to it, Lord. There'd be something different about it, God, that they would find the hope of the gospel, Lord, that they would, as Hope Culture Church lifts Jesus high, Lord, that you would draw all men to yourself, God, that, Lord, that this place, this hall would be filled, God. That, Lord, that many would be saved, God. Many people would be baptized. That many lives would be transformed. People's uh, trajectory in their lives and destiny would be changed, God. That marriages would be restored and healed, God. Lord, we pray that you would do the miraculous in this place, Lord. God, I pray blessing over them in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear about what God is doing in your life. To share your story or a prayer request, simply hit contact on our website. You can also support the ministry of Hope Culture Church by visiting hopeculturechurch.com. We hope you have a great week.